Welcome to the International Bus Podcast brought to you by Wordbee. I'm your co-host Tanya Falkner and this episode is a little bit different. Last week we had an online panel discussion about key performance indicators in the localization industry and how to use KPIs to improve your localization team. Our guests Amish Vanderi from Autodesk, Miguel Sepulveda from King and Andy Johnson from Stoic joined us on the panel. Without further ado, enjoy the discussion. KPIs are essential in tracking business performance and monitoring progress towards your key business objectives. But choosing the right KPIs and getting good data is not always easy. So today we want to talk about why KPIs are so important and how to best choose them. And before we kick things off, we just have a quick poll for you because we'd like to know if you think your organization is successfully using metrics and KPIs to improve already. So the poll should be showing up for you right now. And if you're ready to just answer that. Okay, 50-50. So 50% are doing good with the KPIs and 50% are, are not sure. So the panel is hosted by myself, uh, Robert Rogge, and my colleague here, Tanya Faulkner. We're with Wordbee, makers of the N2N translation management system and CAT tool. So without further ado, let's go ahead and introduce the panelists. So we're really excited to welcome our panelists today. And that is Amish Vanderi from Autodesk, Miguel Sepulveda from King. And we also have a third person, which is Andy Johnson from Stoic. He'll be joining us in hopefully a couple of minutes. So could you just take a moment to introduce yourselves and tell us what perspective you bring to the topic? Uh, Amish, do you want to start? Sure. So thanks, uh, Tanya and Robert, for the introduction and for the invitation to the panel. My name is Amish Randeri. I work with Autodesk, as Tanya mentioned. Autodesk is a company that makes software for the manufacturing, construction, and media and entertainment domains. I work within the localization team where I manage two functions, window management as well as uh, linguistic quality management. And I've been working with KPIs for several years now. I've been leading the effort to build and manage and monitor KPIs for Autodesk localization. Thank you. Miguel. Hey everyone, thanks for having me. I'm Miguel, working for Kim. I look after the globalization team here. And um, yeah, we are the, the gaming company, uh, really focus on uh, mobile games. Candy Crush probably is our most famous uh, title, but we have also other great games. So yes, ensure that you play all of them because they are quite sweet and nice. And uh, I've been my whole life in this industry. I am not very exotic on that. <laughs> I started like mid-90s working as QA tester for Microsoft, for the Spanish, working back in the days in Microsoft Excel, Microsoft Project. So yeah, the serious part of the business. And then in 2007, I moved to the gaming industry. So the first part of my career was more like a serious software. And the second part of my career so far is more focused on, on gaming. So yeah, I was working for Electronic Arts and then almost five years ago, I joined Kim. And uh, yeah, so far so good. Cool. So we were thinking maybe we could kick things off with a success story. Tamish, uh, maybe you have a success story that you can share how your team at Autodesk uh, successfully used KPIs to improve. Our KPI journey started with, uh, you know, us building out uh, about 60 to 70 KPIs back in the day. And we realized very soon that having so many KPIs caused a few different problems. So one was it uh, disrupted the focus. We did not have like, uh, you know, a few key KPIs that uh, would be useful to track. And then because we had so many, no one was tracking anything. So in the end, it was like we had no KPIs despite having so many. So we narrowed down our focus and we, we then came down to a number which was less, which is less than 10. And those are around uh, quality of service, level of support provided by our translation vendors, cost management, uh, timeliness, and you know, a couple around linguistic quality. So 
in terms of success stories, we view KPIs basically as early warning indicators. We have critical metrics that are built on top of KPIs. And uh, critical metrics are basically things that cause product re-release or you know, severe linguistic quality issues and things like that, which would have an impact to Autodesk, our customers, reputation or revenue. So pretty serious stuff. And so KPIs are intended to make sure that we and our partners don't get to that stage where we are missing any of the critical metrics. Um, and I think in terms of success stories, then over the last three or four years, we've been uh, pretty stable in the sense that uh, we've managed to weed out uh, re-releases and things like that. And the KPIs that we track on a monthly basis and review with our partners essentially have helped us maintain a certain level of stability. They've served as early warning indicators where if we see a particular language or project kind of dipping, then we immediately proactively work with the vendors to see what's going wrong, put together corrective action plans so that we don't then miss the critical metrics. That's very interesting that you started with so many and had to cut down immensely. Was it an ongoing process? Like, how, how long did it take you to realize that 60 KPIs is not working? Essentially, it started with our, uh, our vendor model transformation. We used to work with about 19 specialist vendors, and then we consolidated down to four kind of end-to-end vendors that provided you know, all services, languages that we were looking for. And when we entered the new vendor model is when we also built up these extensive KPIs. And within the very first year, we realized that it wasn't working. And so we, the next year, we narrowed down. We came down to about 20. And the current number stands at about seven odd KPIs. So that's how we went through that journey. And we we revisit the KPIs on a yearly basis. We also include them in our contracts with our vendors. And so we also review them on a yearly basis. Okay. Miguel, in a blog post recently, you talked about how it would be a good idea to consolidate vendors. So where where are you at with KPIs? Do you have any success stories? And are you also in the process of consolidating vendors? Generally speaking, I think I'm a fan of less is more. And that's applicable to, to the vendors, but even also to the KPIs, because tracking data I mean, it takes time. Just just understand what you want to track and then collect those data. That's really time-consuming. And uh, sometimes we might be even tracking the wrong data. So, uh, and that's not a good place to, to be. So in terms of the KPIs, in terms of vendors, I tend to prefer in terms of KPIs to focus like in the maybe one, two of the big, project management constraints. So having one or two related to the scheduling, another couple related to the quality, and maybe another couple related to the to the budget. And with those, generally speaking, you have a good idea because if it comes for the uh, scheduling, if we are tracking things like percentage of deliveries on time or earlier, or uh, some KPIs such as uh, project complete against schedule. With that, we know how we are serving the business, but also we know as a publisher how the vendors are serving ourselves. So that's a way to to kill two birds with one stone. And the same sort with uh, with the quality itself, because if uh, we are tracking like a number of uh, linguistic bugs or total escalations of product in the end, we also get some feedback about the uh, vendors. And uh, then we can share this with them, which is something that we do. And this helps us to consolidate our services. So yeah, there are some some ways to do both things. But yeah, I prefer focusing on the very important things rather than start tracking many data or working with many, many, many vendors, especially being part of a casual games company that the volumes are not huge. Uh, it would be in other type of industry, then the situation is different. But when you have one game that it might have like, I don't know, 5,000 words, 10,000 words, that's nothing for a LSP. So splitting everything, it's not really bringing much uh, value. 
if we take a step back here and go back to the question, you know, why is it so important to have KPIs for your localization teams? What do you guys think are like the three most important areas? I think I kind of agree with uh, what Miguel said. So he mentioned that, uh, you know, tracking around the project management constraints around cost, quality, time. I would say those are the basic tenets around which we build the KPIs. We have another one which we call quality of service and that has worked uh, very well for us over the years. It's essentially, so when we look at KPIs, what we try to do is we try to balance both the objective as well as the subjective. So the objective is really based out of uh, uh, hard data, right? So it could be based on a ticketing system. It could be based on quality scores that are coming out of quality scorecards and things like that. So based on hard data. And then the quality of service KPI, which we have is really the subjective part of it, where we kind of get all of our internal stakeholders, internal team members that work uh, with our partners to fill up a survey on a monthly basis. And that has, you know, several questions which again center around uh, responsiveness, quality, communication, and things like that. And that uh, particular one, in addition to some of the objective ones has proved to be very useful because what you can see is uh, trends of about a vendor you you can see how the perception is sometimes you have perception issues sometimes you have people not uh, getting along well and so there's not a good match let's say the project manager on the vendor side and and a person that's managing the product on our side so then we can look at those finer nitty-gritties as well through that survey and and uh, also take some action so that is the one that i would call out tanya in addition to you know things like maybe uh, uh, kpis around quality which are also very important around cost timeliness and things like that that's super interesting because those are the things that uh, are like the building blocks of a successful relationship, right? So re regarding like these numbers or metrics that are outside of what you would get from your management system or your, like, are, are there anything else that you track? Like, like, for example, if you have developers that are working hours on like internationalization or, you know, just like management time, like, do you track stuff? that's kind of outside of localization, but is inside it? Yeah, we do track some of those things. So for example, we offer this service internally, we call it globalization as a service. So it essentially is, you know, going into the source code and globalizing it for our, our development team so that, uh, you know, they don't need to worry about that aspect of the task. So that's something that we measure in terms of, uh, you know, success in terms of how many projects we've done or, uh, you know, what are the kind of issues then that we see and things like that. We also have a globalization dashboard where our uh, uh, teams or our localization leads along with the folks at the vendor end, the localization leads at the vendor end, they work together to score projects from a globalization standpoint. So there are a number of uh, questions that help us get to that scorecard, uh, that particular globalization score for each individual product. Miguel, so when we talk about the process of measuring KPIs, where would you like start that process or what does that look like for you? Do you start with goal setting and then data collection or, you know, what, what does it look like for you? The process might be complex, <laughs> but I believe uh, we need to start by asking ourselves, what do we want to obtain by measuring this? And that's the very first question. Because as I said earlier, we have many data, many, 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 especially working for a mobile company with a mobile device, you have all the data that you might imagine. So actually the very first thing is, what do we want to obtain by measuring this? And then we need to decide if we are focusing on nursery in production or the ability to deliver projects or the productivity rhythm of number of words translated or the ROI or all of them. I mean, there are different KPIs useful for different teams. There is no one size fit all solution. I think that we just need to explore different options, but ultimately we need to ask ourselves, do we want to obtain by measuring this? And then once that part is clear, we tend to work with this kind of uh, smart mindset, like the specific, uh, achievable, relevant, blah, 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 to ensure that everything is 
it's understood uh, within the team, within our stakeholders. That's important to have that kind of agreement. It's really important that we agree about that the stuff we are measuring is relevant for everyone. Hey, Andy. <laughs> and uh, also, it's important that uh, it's realistic because otherwise it's just depression. If we have some KPIs that they are not really, yeah, easy to, to obtain. And uh, yeah, that's like the starting point. And then when it comes to the rollout, it's more about the communication. It's more about asking ourselves, what is this data coming from? Is it uh, manually collecting? Is it built from an automated source? We work a lot with Jira, so with Jira, it's, it's good. We can, we can have many statistics, many dashboards that you don't need to do much manual work. But in the end, you have to ask yourself if your data is accurate, if, if we trust them. Because if we are going to create KPIs to weight our decisions based on this data, somehow the future will be impacted by this data we are collecting. So uh, better to have accurate data. And I think it's also important to be open to change them. KPIs we built at the beginning of our localization program, maybe we need to change them. And that's fine. If that's the case, we just alter. Maybe we don't have the right ones from the beginning. So it's, it's okay to, to change the rhythm. So mm -hmm. recalibration, it's, it's important. So yeah, I think that understanding how we obtain the data, then ensuring that we are applying this smart, and then the rollout process and being open to change them, that would be my process, I think. Those, those four steps, I think it's, it's what we do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Before we continue, let's just welcome Andy for a second. <laughs> hi, so hi Andy, it's have made it. We also want to give you a second to introduce yourself and you know share your perspective on KPIs with us. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've been working in video games and web since 1991. First started at Sega a long time ago when the Master System and Genesis or Mega Drive were released. Um, I am the head of production and game operations at Stoic Studio, who are known for the Banner Saga series of games. At this studio, we are working to bring new processes in, specifically around production game operations. So we are really at the beginning, the forefront of implementing APIs and data here. But I've mm -hmm. done that previously in other companies. So. What was your previous experience with it like? We were talking at the beginning about success stories with KPIs in terms of, you know, was there a certain event where you said, okay, we used this KPI and this is the result we've seen? Oh, yes, definitely. So um, previously I worked at King, so I know Miguel quite well. Hey, Miguel, morning, evening. So using KPIs is extremely important for showing and tracking progress and for me personally, it's great for managing the throughput and tracking quality, but then it's also invaluable for reporting upwards to like C-level and VPs and director level and let them know uh, you have an opportunity here for another language that could potentially be revenue generator. We did this on a game called Battle Nations when Russian, we found that Russian was an underserved language. And there are a lot of Russian players who use KPIs to outline the uh, viability of that language, and it was profitable. So this is it's great not just from the localization team measuring point of view, but also for the reporting upwards. That's interesting. Do you have anything similar, Amish, at Autodesk, where you use KPIs to decide like which new parts of the world you you wanted to serve localized content to? Yeah, in terms of, uh, you know, which languages to expand into or the go-to-market strategy, that is um, not managed by the localization team. It's managed by a separate team within Autodesk. It's the business strategy and marketing team. So we're not directly involved in that particular mm -hmm. thing. But what I would say is that, uh, you know, 
when it comes to metrics in general, we look at metrics in four ways. So we have the vendor metrics and a, a lot of what I spoke about earlier is related to vendor metrics. We also have team metrics. So these are metrics that enable our internal teams to do their jobs more efficiently. It could be about financial data, project data, functional data, and so on. We also have what we call success metrics. And these are things that could be reported upwards to senior leadership. You know, and part of the KPIs could roll up into the success metrics. And then there's the last one, which is guilt metrics. And guilt is basically a forum of companies, basically localization leaders of companies that are based out of the Bay Area. And uh, about eight of these companies have come together to start tracking common metrics. And these are not related to vendor metrics. These would be more internal things that you might want to look at, such as the fully loaded cost per word, as an example or machine translation, you know, what are the different languages that you are you are basically using machine translation for? Is it a homegrown engine? Are you using one of the commercial solutions? What is the, let's say, average uh, recovery rate from your uh, fuzzy matches and things like that? So there's, there's about eight metrics that are still work in progress that these companies have come together to define. And those are the uh, fourth category of metrics that we are tracking. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. What was that called again? The group is called Gilt, G-I-L-T. Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here, and we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about Word Translator. WordB Translator is the translation management system developed by WordB over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years. So it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordB, I also used WordB Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any, any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. It ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Wordby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. So, I mean, you know, it's important to measure KPIs, but then you're also sort of limited to data that you can harvest cost effectively, right? You don't want to spend more than it's worth it, basically. So are there any strategies that you use to collect accurate and helpful data and still doing that cost effectively? Well, I'm coming at it possibly from a different point of view, different place from you guys. Like I'm very budget constricted being at a small company. So gathering metrics for me is based on the availability of the data. So I will use information from, you know, number of words that gone out, uh, invoices that have been sent and received from our vendors. And then in the QA feedback that comes in and um, anything internally, mush that into Excel. And we're not at a data suite point yet. And then use Excel to out usable data that can help us um, but i know you guys have a much more established process so the direction i'm coming at it from is is very different from where you're at right now so well um we, we actually do on the availability of data you know we have a lot of different kinds of uh, people attending and we have a question and we might as well tack this one on here The question is, any advice on how to decide on relevant KPIs for a small team of three in-house translators that's doing continuous small localization tasks? So basically, small team, small tasks, how should they do KPIs without uh, that they can actually do? So I'll try and take a stab at this. I think Miguel kind of alluded to the process that he follows in terms of coming up with KPIs. And I think uh, that is the baseline. So I think 
of course you have the constraints in terms of what you can measure what are the systems you are using and things like that but beyond those constraints i think the first and primary question to ask is what is the thing that is of most importance for you in your operation you know and the answer might be different for different companies and even within a company for different content types the answer might vary for a marketing project the things that you might want to track versus for a product localization related thing might be different so i think primarily trying to figure out what is it that is most critical for you to track and then trying to build out kpis around that and kpis you know essentially they revolve around the project management parameters i think the three important ones cost quality time but beyond those it could be around resources and you know other things as well so that's i think what i would say to that yeah, I can have a pop at this one as well. I think the, the first step is to evaluate what data you have access to easily and then look at that data, see what, what KPIs you can pull from that and then see what the gaps are. When you know what the gaps are and what you have, then you can evaluate what's possible and what's needed. And do you think it's better than to first check which data you have available and then sort of set your goals around that on what's possible instead of going the other way around? I think you need to understand what data you have available to know where the gaps are, because if mm -hmm. you come in at the other direction, you may invest time in something that just isn't available, readily available, especially if you're a small team with limited resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mentioned earlier, that data, tracking data and collecting data can be very time consuming. But mm -hmm. if I am like in a situation like all things being equal, and let's say that all the data they are either easy or difficult to get, for a small team, one possibility is to track the penetration per market. So then all these KPIs related to from which country, from which market is getting the revenue, that's always very interesting. Because then you can match that easily versus uh, ROI. So you do even if you're a small team you know how much you are spending in the translation in the lqa so that part is going to be there and uh, if a small team have any way to understand how they are reaching the players that they are not translating their language then they can see a big opportunity there so that's one good possibility for small teams to focus on the market penetration which languages the players are playing and from there see the uh, ROI of uh, translating one new language because generally speaking translation is kind of cheap compared with the ROI so if you are able to to get these numbers from countries I think mm -hmm. that then you have a good language coverage KPI that you can use to guide your decision. It's a perfect example of that would be Spanish. Why <laughs> Spanish do you localize to? Especially in games where you typically localize to one flavor of Spanish, one regional version of Spanish. At Stoic, we've looked at that in the past. And when you start working in, in mobile, in other areas, you can start beginning to look at the regions as well as the language where your product is being used most. And we, we've had discussions about, do we do European Spanish, Castilian? Do we do uh, Latin American Spanish? And if so, is it Mexican? Or, or what vari variant of Spanish do we use? And we found that for our products, for our games, approximately 30% are from Europe, 30% Latin America, and 30% Spanish speakers, give or take, you know, one third split are in the US. So for us, using US-based Spanish-speaking localizers was a viable thing, but without having that metrics to look into and see the regional split, we would have just been shooting in the dark. And mm -hmm. Spanish is a very tricky language because there's so many different dialects. Yeah, one kind of shortcut for that is in case of doubt, <laughs> which usually is that we don't have the budget, go with the Spanish LATAM and someone have proofreading for Spanish from Spain. So at least those words that they are very different between both Spanish, they are not perceived as we are in Spain. But uh, yeah, that's the Spanish LATAM is, is one of the emerging countries. It's, it's really growing. So uh, for KPIs and for uh, 
opportunities focusing in the Mexican or Argentinian or kind of these flavors. It's a uh, it's a good bet. Yeah, always do a approved living from Spain. That's a good thing to do. So like uh, sh- shifting gears sort of to setting goals, let's say that you have your KPIs and like I mentioned earlier that, that you even have the KPIs in, in the vendor contracts. So I, I guess I was wondering, how do you set goals? And Miguel, you mentioned like, can you trust your data, right? So I guess it's a question for everybody, I'm, I'm, but I'm particularly curious about setting KPIs in vendor contracts as well. And so how do you do that? And how do you know that you can trust your data enough to put it into your contract? That's a good point. So what I'd say is that it's not something that we could do uh, right at the outset. So when we first started off, we did not have that. So it's taken many years where we now have built up uh, a data mart. We've slowly and incrementally connected our production systems to the data mart. I mentioned earlier about the quality of service survey that we do internally. The data from this survey also goes to the data mart. So the data is centralized. We are able to, uh, you know, get uh, it into click view dashboards and things like that. We are able to play around with the data. We are able to generate kind of reports that we can send out to the vendors. So over time, we've been able to get to that structure, and hence our vendors also know where that data is coming from. For instance, the quality of service data is coming through the survey. Some other data is coming through Jira. Some other data is coming through a cost management tool and things like that. So there is trust and confidence in the base tool itself uh, through which we collect the data as well. And so that's when we were then able to discuss with the vendors and say that, uh, you know, this is what is important for us. And this is what we would like to set as the threshold for a KPI. And then we have that discussion. So in some cases, we may have to tweak uh, some of those things as well before we finalize them because vendors might have a slightly different perspective. So it's part of the contract negotiation where along with the pricing and other things, we would also talk about this and then put that in. Also, we have the critical metrics built on top of KPIs and these have financial penalties associated with them. So again, the quality of the data is very important because uh, when you talk about something like financial penalties, you couldn't, you know, it's not something that you take lightly. Uh, luckily, we haven't had to apply a lot of those financial penalties in the last uh, several years, but uh, that's what I would say to that. Mm-hmm. Do you think those KPIs, like the goal setting and, and having the KPIs in place, is sort of a motivation for both your vendors and your team? It is. And, you know, at some point we used to share this uh, KPI data openly across partners as well. So they wouldn't know who is getting what score except for themselves. So we would just blank out the names, but they would see where they score for the different KPIs and things like that. So it also promoted a little bit of healthy competition in that sense. So we've, we've stopped doing that since last year also because some of our production systems are changing and we are now rebuilding some of those connectors and the and the data that we get out of it. So, but we do want to restart that thing again because I think partners found it useful as well to see it presented in that format. Mm-hmm. We had a question here. It is, what tools do you use to track your KPIs? I mean, Andy, I think you mentioned you sort of do it in Excel sheets, but then do you have them all in, in one centralized management platform or do you collect them from different tools to use? So for us, our data comes in different avenues. We have vendor invoicing, which has like word counts, actual word counts. We have the word counts that we send out. Um, we also have a lot of Google Analytics that's going on in the game so we can check and see what's going on from the player data side to see locales. Um, I look at YouTube views as well on videos where we're doing subtitling on videos. So it's we are a much earlier state than perhaps the other guys. But then pull that data in and use Excel or Google Sheets or similar spreadsheet to fudge the data into a usable state and get your KPIs out of that. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a mature process as yet. In our, How about in you guys? We have like, yeah, in our case, we have like a, like a couple of layers. So first we have like a one dashboard or a few dashboards 
one tool that uh, it's very visual and everyone can subscribe to that dashboard and actually that's kind of with uh, SQL servers and everything, everything is updated even real time. And the good thing with that is that you don't really you spend time creating the dashboards, the data you want to collect, but then everything is populated automatically and people can, can subscribe and you can have those dashboards in your email every day if you want. So mm-hmm. that, that model is it's very good to increase visibility, which usually is one problems of the localization, globalization teams that people don't know what we do. So getting in their inboxes and trying to make this kind of queries very easy is really helpful. And uh, then personally, I use a lot Jira because everything that we do is in Jira. Uh, our translation requests, our bugs, our everything. So since everything is there and Jira is so good with uh, reporting, I do rely a lot on those views to create the, the reports I need. So on, on our side, uh, you know, I, I mentioned ClickView was the dashboarding tool that we were using earlier. We are now transit, transitioning to uh, Power BI. Power BI also has natural language processing uh, features. So, you know, you can actually, based on how well your data is set up, you can actually type and ask uh, questions in natural language and get some responses back. So that's what we want to get to. We are still building that up. And then as Miguel mentioned, we also do a little bit of reporting. It's manual right now. We want to automate it as well. So I would be interested to know, Miguel, what is the tool that you're using, if you can share that in terms of, you know, generating those automated uh, reports from the dashboard. So what we do is uh, for some of our marketing stakeholders, we do quality reports on a regular basis that we send out to them. I also would be interested because we do use Jira for development. We don't use it as much as we could do for localization. So Miguel, next time you're in Seattle, I'll be asking you lots of questions about that. (laughs) Okay. Oh, that's cool. So you mentioned, Amish, earlier that you use your KPIs for as an early warning sign, right? For things that are going off. And um, Andy, like you have this post, uh, I read it, I think it was on LinkedIn about the cone of uncertainty. Oh, um, yeah, you checked that out? Yeah, I read it. And uh, <laughs> and I saw it and I, I on some big projects and I hate that cone, you know? Like I'm looking at that cone and I'm like, that's exactly what it is and I hate it. Yeah. And yep. so just for the listeners, it's, a, it's just a drawing. You have uncertainty plus minus and the further away you are from the finish line, the more uncertainty you have and the closer you get to being done, the less uncertainty you have. Yes. So I guess I'm wondering if anyone is able to like use KPIs and metrics from the past to try to reduce this uncertainty in whatever projects you're working on. Yeah, I can take a stab at this. So when I was at THQ and I left THQ back in 2012, so I was doing a lot of localization there, managing all the localization on development side for like three and a half years. We actually put together a pretty robust for that time way to predict size of game content coming through and then we also did post reporting as well on the accuracy of our estimations and of our actuals so we did like a variance report at the end which i think is always very important but if you track projects that come through and you find similarities between different projects then it will help over time help you build up a model that you can use for estimating predicting size of projects when you begin to discuss them. And that helps with that cone of uncertainty, kind of narrow that down. But it is a prediction, you know, like for instance, uh, we say there was a fighting game coming through. We could look at eight, 10 previous fighting games that we've worked on and look at the the amount of uh, the size of the games to my word count. And then we could do an average from mean of that and then look at the game that we get coming through and go it's going to be around this size that's by no means entirely accurate but it gives us a ballpark and a better understanding to base our initial assumptions off of does anyone else have have that experience too that you can use your past metrics to estimate projects 
not necessarily estimate projects, but we do use past metrics on a regular basis for forecasting. And then we kind of also look at uh, how the variance and things like that. So what we what we started with, what we ended up with, we use past uh, data for another thing. So we have these volume discounts that are built up that we have in our contracts with our vendors. And so we do some modeling on the data and we also add additional parameters for changes that we know might be coming in for the next year to predict what the revenue with the vendors could be and so what the volume discount threshold should be at because we prefix it. So that's one area where we use that data for predictive modeling and things like that. If we talk about what happens after like you review your KPIs, Let's take, um, I don't know, you pick your favorite KPI and you tell me what the action steps are that you take depending on the outcome of those. Yeah. But let's say the most important, maybe that's better than your favorite. <laughs> um, I mean, for us, you know, I, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but the quality of service one is very interesting. It uh, throws out very interesting insights uh, based on the actual scoring of the survey from the internal teams, but also the comments that come through can be very enlightening. If, uh, you know, you have, uh, let's say, a resource at the partner end that's maybe facing some issues, is overloaded, or, you know, is uh, suddenly underperforming or whatever, you'll be able to find out those kind of trends very, very quickly because, you know, the data is very granular. You can look at it by project, by vendor, by, you know, you can slice and dice it in multiple ways. So, so that's, that's uh, one that has been very insightful for us uh, over the years. In addition to that one, we have another metric that we measure. We call it the key skill indicator. And that's also a survey that goes out twice a year, basically. And there, the teams are specifically requested to not um, uh, rate based on the performance, but the perceived skill of the resource that they are working with at the vendor end. So it's also interesting to see the correlation then between performance and skill data. And sometimes we can see trends. Sometimes we don't see trends and we can also have those conversations with the partners to see why there are similarities or differences between the two, skill and performance. Mm-hmm. For me, my favorite ones are related the the penetrations per market. I really like to have the opportunity to see how our games are doing when we see the breakdown per game, per language the top markets that we have for each of the games and then you can break down even for the genre of the game which is the countries that are playing more casual games how is the revenue coming from mid-core gamers and that's really useful also to detect uh, opportunities because when you have access to the countries that they are playing the game but it's not translated in the language you can always ask, okay, why don't we translate? So you can also use that as to detect opportunities. So I think that's my favorite KPI, everything that is related with the granularity of the uh, players and the, and the gross bookings and the game rounds and everything that it's helping to understand the player's motivators and especially in which language they are playing and in which country they are playing. That's very useful information for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you set up the KPIs, do you also already set up what you do next depending on the outcome or is that something that, that's going to be organized once you're there? Depends on the KPI. Obviously, if it's a KPI related with uh, measuring quality, yeah, you need to have a plan. So if you are scoring this level and that's your expectation and you are not hitting that uh, mark, then you always need to think, okay, how will I fill and close the gap? So that's somehow in the process as you are collecting the data and you see the data, you see, okay, we are not getting the quality we need and you try to identify which is the area that you're not having the quality. And at the same time, you are seeing these results, you start brainstorming a little bit how you can raise quality bar. And um, in terms of uh, project management, when it comes to deadlines and everything, I think it's the same. If you see that the vendors are missing deadlines, 
you can think, okay, why this is happening? How we can help them to deliver on time? Is it because we are sending the stuff late? Is it because there's a bottleneck in the process? So somehow one thing leads to the to the other. And uh, mm -hmm. what I found is that at the same time you think about the data you collect, your brain starts thinking about how to improve at the same time. So it's coming naturally in a way. Yeah. I think for me, like the, I don't have one KPI or one data point that is most important. Or maybe I do, but it's nearly impossible to measure. And that will be a satisfaction in non-English speaking supported language territories. That to me is the most important. Is are players happy with the content and all the work that's being put in? The reason that is so difficult to measure is because unless the localized content is poor or there are issues, you don't hear anything. So the absence of data on that is often the measure. So it's almost like a negative. You're, you're measuring the number of complaints there to find out the quality. Then I think also on the project management side, the on-time delivery is like huge. You need to know that you can count on your vendor. I think Albert Einstein said that not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts, meaning that there's data and metrics are one thing, but it shouldn't be the only thing. You have to have vendors that you trust. You have to know that they're going to work with you. And oftentimes, if you look at the data, you'll see you were late on delivering this or the quality was poor. But if you dig, or sometimes not often, if you dig into the entire story, you can see that perhaps it was because one vendor dropped out and you pulled another vendor in and, and they did content in half the time. Or there was other factors that are outside of that measurable data that are not in, in that those KPIs that impact that. So I think KPIs and, and the data are a good way to assist us in, in measuring quality and making sure we stay on point and seeing trends. Um, but I think they should be tempered with you know the, the whole picture, the holistic view. So that, that's pretty interesting. You know, we read your Cone of Uncertainty uh, article. We also mentioned an article by Miguel. And Amish, you also had an article that you wrote about radical empathy. And you wrote that radical empathy is actively striving to better understand and share the feelings of others and to fundamentally change our perspectives from judgmental to accepting in an attempt to more authentically connect with ourselves and others. So, you know, in terms of KPIs and vendor management and working with these professional personal relationships with vendors, how would you relate that to what Andy said and to radical empathy? I think what I would say is that, you know, the partnerships that we've built up and the partners that we work with, it's been a long process. The partners that we currently work with, we've been working with them for over 10 years. So our approach there is that we do not really think of them as vendors. We want to think of them as extension of our teams. You know, as Andy said, we want partners that we can trust, right? And so that's been our approach. We've tried to uh, kind of, you know, when you talk about empathy, it's also trying to understand what is of, what is the interest of the other party and trying to build up a relationship that is uh, of mutual gains, right? So there's something in it for them, there's something in it for us as well. And that's what we've tried to model in our approach with our partners. So, you know, long-term relationships, all the partners we're working, we are working with today, we've worked with for over 10 years now. We do not take decisions with regards to adding or removing partners lightly. We did the consolidation, we chose these partners, we've stuck with them. We have underperformance at times, it's a natural it's an expected thing and unless uh, you know we've since we went into this model we've uh, downsized once and i believe that was an empathetic decision as well because our uh, overall vendor spend was decreasing it was impacting our partners and you know their margins and so we decided to then go ahead and downsize the pool down from four to three so that it was still interesting for our partners to do business with us so i think that's what we try to model in what we do i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> No, it does. It does. It does. Well, I think we're getting towards the end. Maybe we can ask the other two, um, like a quick three-step guide on how do you set up that process? Is the question, how do we set up the process? 
it's a big yeah question. i guess i mean uh, it is a very big question and i guess that's also why most of the people answered that that's their biggest issue some tips we probably can't give them a full solution i can make a super quick step i think that it's not a single answer it's a iterative over time approach you shouldn't look at how do we create a kpi data driven organization from scratch because by the time you've implemented that you'll find that your kpis or your data is it's not answering the questions that you want because your business has changed i think that it comes with maturity of the organization and just incrementally reinforcing the value of having these kpis and metrics and then building upon that over time mm -hmm. you know i think uh, a lot of times when we are building internal tool systems or even choosing commercial ones uh, you know data or what data that tool will process or or you know what we will do with, with that data is not something that's top of mind when we are first going through that process and that creates problems at the tail end where you want to later you know start tracking this data or that data but then you realize you know either you didn't think of it earlier your data model is not appropriate for tracking that or whatever so i think having someone in the organization as a resource that helps with uh, you know that perspective would be the ideal case but then it's not always easy to also get a resource to do that so i, I would say thinking about the data beforehand is always a um, good reminder when we are taking some of those decisions about processes, tools, and things like that. And uh, mm -hmm. I would also add that I agree with what uh, Andy said. It's an uh, iterative process. You know, uh, change is constant. Uh, our tools, our processes do not remain the same as well. So we had an effective way of tracking a lot of the KPIs and data that we had, but now we have newer tools. And so we have to rebuild a lot of all of that. So it's it's absolutely an iterative process. You need to keep, uh, you know, or remain on, on top of the whole process at all times. I have also one suggestion. I think it's important also to have KPIs paired with the strategy of the company. With this, what I mean is that, uh, for instance, if uh, quality is one of the top goals of the organizations, but our KPIs are based on profitability or the other way around, <laughs> this mismatch can cause problems because at a project management level, there might be a temptation to cut corners on quality, to hiring cheaper vendors or, I don't know, situations like this. And that might have adverse effect. So it's not only the problem of, of what I am measuring, it's if what I am measuring, it's aligned with the company objectives. Otherwise, it might be quite depressing for, for the teams if we are measuring things that they are not aligned. And it could happen. It's not that we are. <laughs> I, I guess I would add one too, even, even though I'm a host. I think it's good to decide like how often you're going to look so like what, when are we going to do the review the, these numbers, you know, like if you're going to do it monthly or quarterly, biannually or annually, basically, and maybe that would help too, you know, if you're just going to look quarterly, you know, you're going to look at those numbers, you're going to realize you're missing stuff, then you're going to, you know, try to make things that make those numbers better, and you're going to do it every every so often. That's a good process too, I think. Well. I guess that hopefully helps for those people who said they don't have a good process in place. And we got a final note from one of our listeners, Rick. He says, thanks all from a vendor perspective. It is very interesting and useful to hear all these thoughts on KPIs and metrics. And it seems like they're still sort of trying to get the hang of it. But he says, this might change now. So Rick, I'm glad that all our panelists were able to help or give you some ideas. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, everybody, you know, for some of you, it's early or late or in the afternoon. So we do appreciate that you came on for the discussion and I hope people liked it. That was our panel discussion about KPIs in the localization industry. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you'd like to attend live next time or even be a panelist yourself, go to webby.com forward slash events, where you can find a list of our upcoming panels.